This is episode 509 of the AWS podcast, released on March 12, 2022. Podcast confirmed. Welcome to the official AWS podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the AWS Podcast. Sam Lesher here with you. Great to have you back. Update show time. Lots of cool stuff to go through. So let's get crack a lack and let's start with the topic of analytics. The QuickSight team is pleased to announce Amazon QuickSight's new community hub. This will allow authors and admins to have a centralized hub for getting started with QuickSight and deepening your QuickSight knowledge or connecting with other QuickSight users. So this really cuts down the need to go to multiple sources, multiple locations, etc. It brings it all together. There's a Q&A section, there's a learning center, there's an announcement section. Hopefully makes it a lot easier to you get the information that you need. Amazon Redshift has announced support for Pivot and Unpivot SQL operations. So these are very useful functions that let you transpose rows into columns and vice versa with high performance. So anyone who does any analytics knows you need a good pivot table. So now you can do it really, really easily. Some updates for AWS Glue. The AWS Glue Schema Registry now supports protocol buffers or protobuf schemas. So this allows you to control and govern the evolution of your streaming data in the same place regardless of the format you're using. And Glue Schema Registry provides Apache license serializers and deserializers for Protobuf that integrate with Java applications developed for Apache Kafka or Amazon Managed Streaming for Apache Kafka or Amazon Kinesis Data Streams and Kafka Streams. So it makes it a lot easier to manage your data. AWS Glue Data Brew now allows customers to specify single or multiple output files for recipe jobs. So this means you can create a single output file if you know it's going to be small or the consuming system has to have one file, or you can chop them up for easier storage and migration. We're also pleased to announce AWS Glue Job Run Insights. Now, this allows you to help identify sources of errors and performance bottlenecks. Because if we think about the work that you do, Spark's distributed processing and lazy execution model can make it hard and time consuming for data engineers to diagnose errors and to tune performance. Now you have automated analysis and interpretation of errors in your Spark jobs to make the process faster. So quicker time to recovery. Amazon Managed Streaming for Apache Kafka now has enhanced AWS CloudFormation support. So now you can manage your configurations, and your SASL and Scram secrets as well using CloudFormation. On to the topic of application integration. AWS AppSync has added support for custom response headers. Now, AWS AppSync is a fully managed service that makes it easy to develop and manage GraphQL and real-time APIs. Now, you can have custom HTTP headers in response to GraphQL operations. So, you can now define directly in AppSync any additional headers you want to send to clients upon the response to an API call. So, for example, if there's a security requirement for a specific header to be present in the HTTP response, you can do it. Amazon MQ now provides support for RabbitMQ version 3.8.27. So a bunch of fixes and also some improvements in just how it works. So get yourself updated. It's very simple. A few clicks in the console, you're good to go. Moving on to the topic of compute, AWS Lambda has added support for .NET 6 as both a managed runtime and a container-based image. 
So you can now create serverless applications in Lambda with .NET 6, and you can get access to new features like improved logging, simplified function definitions using top-level statements, and improved performance using source generators. And there's a whole bunch of new .NET language features and performance optimizations that if you're a .NET developer, you're going to want to get your hands on. We're also announcing TypeScript native support in the AWS serverless application model CLI using ESBuild into public preview. So this is a developer tool that's designed to initialize and configure serverless applications, build and test locally, and then deploy them using AWS CloudFormation. It integrates into things like uh, Visual Studio Code, JetBrains, or WebStorm. It's a very popular way to deploy serverless applications. So now there is native support for TypeScript at the CLI. So if you're a TypeScript type person, you'll be happy with that one. The AWS data provider for SAP now supports JDK 11 and additional Amazon EC2 instance types, which means you can now use the AWS data provider for Amazon EC2 instances like the R6i and M6i instances as part of your integration strategy. Now, if you're running an application, you should test it and you should be testing where your application runs when things go wrong. And the Amazon Fault Injector Simulator now supports task-level faults for Amazon Elastic Container Service. So you can now run experiments that inject task-level container failures so that you can figure out what goes on when things go wrong. And this allows you to uncover hidden bugs, monitor blind spots and performance bottlenecks that can be hard to find in distributed systems. Now, AWS FIS experiments can help you measure, validate, and improve the resilience of your applications in use cases such as chaos engineering, game day testing, and continuous delivery. Now, previously we had instance level faults that drained container instances. Now you can go right into the actual containers themselves. So this helps you figure out what goes wrong when you least expect it. And Amazon Fault Injector Simulator also now supports logging to Amazon CloudWatch logs and to Amazon S3 so you can get your results all in the one place. An update for Amazon EC2 autoscaling warm pools. It now supports hibernating instances and returning instances to warm pools on scale in. So you can now hibernate your warm pool instances and you can configure your autoscaling group to return a running instance to a warm pool on scaling. So warm pools let you scale out faster because it brings your instances into service from pre-initialized EC2 instances. So this is really useful for that classic use case where you have very time-consuming steps like loading gigabytes of data, provisioning services, or running scripts that can take several minutes or longer to get the EC2 instance up and running. Now, using the warm pools, of course, you can bring them into, into work and into use. But when you scale down, you can also return those instances back to the warm pool so you're not having to rebuild warm pools all the time. On to the topic of customer engagement. Amazon Connect Customer Profiles now supports high volume ingestion of customer data. So this is data from Salesforce, Marketo, and ServiceNow. And customer profiles will divide high volumes of data into batches and ingest them in parallel without requiring configuration from customers. So this means you can load what you need when you need it. That's the way to go. Moving on to the topic of database, there are now configurable Cypher suites available for Amazon Aurora Postgres SQL. So this allows you to have more control over the connection encryption that your database server accepts. And this has become a really important thing because we wanna make sure we're using the right level of encryption for our use case, be it 128, 256, various different formats and, and approaches, etc., you can now really scope that down to accept only what is suitable for your particular requirement. Amazon Keyspaces for Apache Cassandra 
now allows you to automate your resource management by using the AWS SDK. Now you can create and manage Amazon Keyspaces resources using the SDK, which means you can also hook into third-party automation that uses that SDK as well. So this is in addition to the AWS CloudFormation support. A really exciting update for Amazon RDS Multi-AZ for Postgres and for MySQL. There is a new Multi-AZ deployment option with one primary and two readable standby database instances across three availability zones. Now, this is interesting because it moves from the traditional model of primary and a secondary to now having two standby databases. And this allows you to have up to two times faster transaction commit latency and automated failovers typically take under 35 seconds and you also have readable standby instances. So this really allows you to have a great option for highly available production database workloads. It means your recovery time objective can be very, very low, but it also means you have the ability to serve traffic from the read replica whilst you're running in the standard mode. Speaking of database failover, you can now have faster database failover with the Amazon Web Services JDBC driver for MySQL. This is generally available for you to use with Amazon RDS or Amazon Aurora MySQL compatible edition database clusters, and it minimizes failover time by monitoring database cluster status and caching the cluster's topology. The cache is then used to improve DNS name resolution, it's always DNS, if a node fails, and it reduces the failover time from minutes to seconds. It's dropping compatible with the community MySQL driver and is installed with Maven, Gradle, or by jar file. And after installing the required file, your client simply requires some basic changes to the connection string and you are good to go. And it is available under an open source project using the general public license V2. And you can check it out on GitHub. Couple of updates for Amazon RDS for MariaDB. It now supports IAM authentication to manage your access. So what this means is you can manage access from a single location, avoiding issues caused by permissions that are out of sync on different AWS resources. The Amazon RDS for MariaDB also now supports some new minor versions, 10.6.7, 10.5.15, 10.4.24, 10.3.34, and 10.2.43. And this is a reminder, keep things up to date. You can keep uh, your databases up to date with minor versions automatically. So it'll do it during scheduled maintenance windows. And there are lots of options to make migrations smoother from major versions as well. Amazon RDS for Oracle now supports the October 2021 patch set update for Oracle database 12.1. So keep yourself up to date. And that particular database capability also now supports the allow weak crypto parameters for the Oracle native network encryption option so that you can choose to deny less strong encryption. You probably want the best encryption you can get. So you're able to set these particular parameters. Both these parameters are set to true by default, but it's recommended that you set them to false where possible. Then you can. And Amazon Aurora has had some updates for Postgres SQL database 13.5, 12.9, 11.4, and 10.19 are all now supported. Again, a reminder, set your auto-miner version upgrade option when you're creating your cluster and life is simple. Moving on to the topic of developer tools, AWS AppRunner has added a Java platform for building and running Java-based web applications. Now, this platform launched with two Amazon Credo runtimes, Credo 11 and Credo 8, and you have uh, Maven and Gradle tools to your applications container in addition to the particular Credo runtime version. Now, prior to this launch, you could only use container images of applications built on Java 
in your App Runner services. With Java support on App Runner, you can now directly use your Java-based source code with Amazon Credo runtimes to build and run your web application on AWS App Runner. Nice DCV, which is Web Client Software Development Kit to help you visualize stuff, has released the SDK version 1.1.0 and introduces a user interface library written as a React component. So instead of building the user interface from scratch, you can now just use and modify the React UI component to build your applications faster. Moving on to the topic of front-end web and mobile, AWS Amplify has announced the general availability of the Authenticator UI library for Flutter. This allows developers to create a login registration experience in just minutes. And when a developer adds the authentication category and sets the authorization and verification attributes from the Amplify CLI or Studio, the authenticator login registration forms are displayed accordingly. You can also apply custom theming to the authenticator forms, override validations on logon signup fields, and you can add and remove the profile attributes field used in the signup form. I have always found creating signup forms the most boring of tasks because you have to do them, you have to get it right, but is anyone really impressed? No. <laughs> so the fact you can drop this in is nice. Moving on to the topic of game tech, Amazon GameLift announces three updates to FlexMatch to provide greater flexibility. Flexibility and FlexMatch, that's a good thing. This is a matchmaking algorithm and flexible developer-defined rules to create high-quality matches at AWS scale. There is now support for compound rules for longer string list and more flexible team selection. So you can make your matches better and more compelling. And as a gamer myself, I hate playing in a game where I've been poorly matched, usually my very low skill sets against people with very good fast twitch fibers. So better matchmaking can only be a good thing. Onto the topic of Internet of Things, AWS IT SiteWise announces a new development library to create your own web applications to visualize industrial data. The IoT application kit provides user interface components for managing and visualizing IoT data, including bar charts, line charts, scatter plots, and timeline views. And developers can use these UI components to build your own applications tailored to different use cases and your business needs. This makes it much, much easier to build those front ends. You can use frameworks like React.js and add the IoT application kit available on GitHub. And it means just a few lines of code and things are looking much more pretty and easier to interpret. On to the topic of machine learning. People start your engines, or at least your virtual engines, or at least your machine learning engines or machine learning models. I don't know how to say it, but what we're announcing is the launch of the 2022 AWS Deep Racer League Virtual Circuit. This is where developers of all skill levels can advance their machine learning skills and compete in the world's first global autonomous racing league. This starts on March the 1st and you're competing for prizes of up to 20 grand, a trip to reInvent in Las Vegas, and of course, the glory and self-satisfaction of doing well. So make sure you sign up, lots of fun stuff going on there. And if you're a student over the age of 16 and you're enrolled in high school or an undergraduate program globally, you can compete in the Deep Racer Student Virtual League. And you can also win prizes and the glory and a trip to reInvent 2022 as well. So lots of fun to be had. And for that one, there is no credit card required. Amazon SageMaker Serverless Inference, which is in preview, and Asynchronous Inference now add support for SageMaker Python SDK. Now, this abstracts the steps required for deployment and makes it easier for you to deploy your workload. So anything that makes it easier is nice because it helps you move quicker.
Amazon SageMaker has also added new APIs for jumpstart models. This allows you to easily solve your machine learning problems with one-click access to 322 popular model collections from TensorFlow Hub, PyTorch Hub, Hugging Face, and Gluon CV. These are also known as model zoos, and 17 end-to-end solutions that solve common business problems such as demand forecasting, fraud detection, and document understanding. This makes it a lot easier for you to get up and running quickly and use the right model for the right task. Amazon Kendra has added spell checker for queries, which I know I needed very dearly because I love using Amazon Kendra. It helps me find stuff in natural language, but it only works well if I'm spelling things correctly. So now it will help you spell properly. And an update to Amazon Translate. It now supports formality customization for French, German, Hindi, Italian, Japanese, and Spanish. Now, this feature allows you to customize the level of formality in your translation output for those languages. And you can choose it based upon your communications needs because there's different formalities in those languages depending on the context. So the formal option might be useful for dealing with customers like insurance or healthcare industry. They want a more formal approach. Certainly when it comes to insurance and health, I like some formality. Then again, if you're doing gaming or social media, you're probably looking for a more informal style. This lets you customize for both. Moving on to the topic of management and governance, we have now launched the Customer Carbon Footprint Tool. Now, this allows you to see the environmental impact of your AWS workloads. It is an easy to understand set of data visualizations that gives you your historical carbon emissions, allows you to evaluate emission trends as your use of AWS evolves. It approximates the estimated carbon emissions you have avoided by using AWS instead of an on-premises data center. And it also reviews your forecasted emissions based on current use. It also shows how your carbon footprint will change as Amazon stays on the path to powering its operations with 100% renewable energy by 2025, five years ahead of the original target of 2030, and drives toward net zero carbon by 2040 as part of the climate pledge. You can see it today. It's free from the AWS billing console. We're happy to announce payment profiles for customizing AWS payment preferences. So this is a new payment feature that allows you to customize your payment preference by AWS service provider, which is also known as the seller of record. So using these profiles, you can automatically pay your AWS bills from different service providers using payment methods that you choose. We're really excited to announce the new unified AWS Health Dashboard and the first iteration thereof. This is a new destination that brings together the AWS Service Health Dashboard and Personal Health Dashboard into a single connected experience. And this is designed to provide a more responsive and accurate view, improved usability and greater operational resilience. If you go into the dashboard, you get an overview of AWS Service Health, but it's been updated to follow the latest design standards, including a searchable history of events, automatic inline refresh, and a more mobile-friendly experience and faster page load times. Now, if you're looking for a more personalized view of events, because things can happen differently depending on where you're at and where you're running, you can sign into the AWS Health Dashboard to see an account-specific view. And this shows you all the events that you have access to, both personalized and general events about overall service availability. It also now provides a more responsive view in the scenario where multiple AWS services are affected by a common underlying root cause. Previously, you would have seen multiple posts from AWS services in parallel. Now you'll see one overarching communication with impacted services tagged to the summary. This accelerates our ability to denote the services impacted, helping you inform your incident management processes faster. You can also quickly understand which impacted services are related to a single incident. 
Now, we want lots of feedback on this. You can use the feedback feature in the bottom of the dashboard to tell us what else you'd like to see. This is the first iteration in a series of changes throughout this year that will help you improve your visibility into service and resource health. AWS Trusted Advisor has introduced priority for AWS Enterprise Support customers, and this is in preview, and it provides a prioritized view of cloud optimization recommendations and the ability to track the status of these recommendations. So this helps you understand things like best practices, architecture risks, and account team curated guidance, and allows you to track the status of your recommendations in conjunction with your account team and work with them to mitigate your critical outstanding risks. Amazon CloudWatch Container Insights has added support for Helm Chart using the AWS Distro for Open Telemetry. If you want to use that particular mechanism to visualize your data, it's now available to you. And Amazon CloudWatch Agent has added support for configurable log group retention. So now you can choose how to apply uniform log group retention periods when deploying the agent across multiple systems. And you can choose retention periods between 10 years and just one day. You can also keep indefinite retention as well, depending on your use case. The Amazon CloudWatch agent also now has support for log filter expressions. And this allows you to collect only log events that meet specified criteria. So you can kind of filter out stuff you just know you're not going to want to see. And that team's been very busy because the CloudWatch agent now has support for NVIDIA GPU metrics. So you can pull that specific GPU-related information and understand when an accelerated instance is over or underutilized so you can right-size your instances or provision additional hosts. And last update on this topic, AWS has enhanced Chinese Yuan payments experience for China-based customers. So from February 24, 2022, all customers who are based in China can activate Chinese Yuan payments from the payment methods page of the Billing and Cost Management Console. On to the topic of migration and transfer. The AWS Application Migration Service now supports Windows Server 2003, 2008, 2022, and Windows 10, so basically any of those particular operating systems, you can use the application migration service to rehost those applications without having to make changes. This is a really powerful capability to allow you to move things from the old to an interim place before you can actually pick things apart and uh, modernize them. You can also now choose between the unified extensible firmware interface or legacy BIOS boot mode as well. Depending on your legacy application, it may require one or the other. The AWS Transfer family is pleased to announce enhancements to the managed workloads capability, which can save you time in automating file processing steps like moving and renaming files, or retaining source files for archival, or dynamically routing files to specific folders, or just deploying and monitoring workflows. A whole lot of stuff you may want to fiddle with if you're moving data around. Now you can configure your workload steps to process either the originally uploaded file or the output file from a previous workflow step. So this makes it cleaner for you to do that automation. Onto the topic of networking and content delivery. AWS has expanded NAT64 and DNS64 capabilities in all AWS commercial and AWS GovCloud US regions. Now, your IPv6 AWS resources in your VPC can use NAT64 on an AWS NAT gateway and DNS64 on Route 53 to communicate with IPv4 services. Now, as you transition your workloads to IPv6 networks, they'll continue to need access to IPv4 networks and services. With NAT64 and DNS64, your IPv6 resources can communicate with IPv4 services within the same VPC or connected VPCs 
your on-premises network or the internet. So this gives you lots of great capability to make that migration actually happen. AWS AppMesh has introduced an agent for Envoy. This is a new component that monitors Envoy proxies and helps keep them healthy. Agent for Envoy also facilitates Envoy connection draining, making your applications more resilient to failure. Now, AWS AppMesh is a service mesh that provides application-level networking to make it easier for your services to communicate with each other across multiple types of compute infrastructure, and it provides a nice, standardized, easy-to-manage approach. Moving on to the topic of security, identity, and compliance, Amazon Detective has enhanced search to better support security root cause analysis. You can now have wildcard characters and CIDR notation on IP addresses. So when you're diving deep, you can do it much more easily. AWS Firewall Manager now supports AWS Network Firewall Centralized Deployment Model. Previously, Firewall Manager could deploy AWS Firewall only into a decentralized deployment model, now you can do it into a centralized deployment model so you can have easy control over your environment depending on your particular use case. Onto the topic of storage. Amazon S3 has accelerated integrity checking of requests by up to 90%. For the first time in the cloud, you can choose from four supported checksum algorithms for data integrity checking on your upload and download request. In addition, Enhancements to the AWS SDK and S3 API significantly improve checksum efficiency increasing the performance and reducing the cost of data validation. You can automatically calculate and verify checksums as you store or retrieve data from S3, and you can access the checksum information at any time using a new S3 API or an S3 inventory report. Using checksums for data validation is a best practice for data durability, and these capabilities increase the performance and reduce the cost to do so. So Amazon S3 can automatically check the integrity of your data when you store or retrieve objects using standard S3 API calls. You can choose SHA-1, SHA-256, CRC-32, or CRC-32C checksum algorithm, depending on what you need to do. And to verify the integrity of your data, you can either provide a pre-calculated checksum with your request or have the AWS SDK calculate it as it streams data in. Calculating a checksum as you stream data into S3 saves you time as you're able to both verify and transmit your data in a single pass instead of two sequential operations. In addition, S3 can now calculate and store part-level checksum information for objects uploaded through S3 multi-part upload. This means that large objects can be broken into multiple parts so that the checksum operations can be parallelized. And S3 will independently calculate a checksum when your data is durably stored to validate that it's stored in the same bits that you transferred from the client. Then S3 will store the checksum that it calculated in the metadata for your objects. These checksums, including checksums for individual parts for an S3 multi-part upload, can be accessed at any time using S3's new Get Object Attributes API. All these features, which are pretty cool and pretty important, are available at no additional cost. You can now customize how your data is stored on your Amazon FSx for Open ZFX file system to optimize performance for database applications. So this means that you can choose how your data is laid out when it's written to your file system disk, specifically the size of individual chunks or blocks used to store it. So this is really useful for tuning your applications and means you can get better performance of up to 3x depending on your customization approach. Also, speaking of OpenZFS on Amazon FSx, you can now choose from two different compression options. The introduction of LZ4 data compression means you can choose LZ4 or just the Z standard as well. So you can choose the particular one that works for your particular data type. 
And a final update for today, we're happy to announce AWS Private Link support for AWS Backup. So this means you have direct access to AWS Backup via a private endpoint within your VPC in a scalable manner. This makes it easier to set up your backup architecture using private IP addresses, so no need for public IPs, firewall rules, or an internet gateway. So I hope there was something for you in there. There's a lot of different updates there, some really interesting use cases you could apply to. As ever, we do love to get your feedback. AWS Podcast at Amazon.com is the place to do it. And until next time, keep on building.